Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is your co-host of the podcast, digital editor Al Lunsford. Joined, as always, by Joe Passoff, my co-host. Joe, it's it feels weird to to say this because you know where I am, it's above ninety degrees every day, and uh, where you are, I'm sure it's not much cooler, probably hotter uh, in Arizona. But it's August already, so cold season is kind of upon us. It'll be here before we know it, and to think of a way to get people's mind on a golf destination of some sort that they could visit uh, an all weather type of place. I think it's a, a good time to talk about the merits of a couple of Mexico's best golf destinations. So the purpose of this podcast is to kind of compare and contrast, I, I guess the two most popular golf vacation destination spots in Mexico and on different sides of the country. So we're talking Cabo, Los Cabos on the West. Yeah, the Gulf of California, but yeah. it's Baja California, and specifically down in Cabo, BCS, which stands for Baja California Sur, S-U-R, which is south. So that little southern tip of that appendage that sticks down below California is where Cabo is. And uh, Cancun, I believe. Uh, is uh, what we're t- we're going to talk about in comparison to Cabo, and hopefully uh, you and I have some idea where Cancun is. And that's your more your eastern destination, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, so uh, Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico, right there to give you a, a general idea. But uh, Joe, I know you've done multiple trips to both of these destinations, one more so than the other. Can you talk to us a little bit about your, uh, generally speaking, your experience at both Cancun and Cabo? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Cancun and that area, the Yucatan Peninsula, or what some call, uh, in a in a broader sense, the Riviera Maya, the Mexican Riviera. Um, it's about a seventy-five mile stretch that starts in Cancun to the north and goes to a really cool place called Tulum in the south, which is home to ancient Mayan ruins. Great side trip if you're in Cancun. And some of the really good golf courses are down that way. Um, A little town called Playa del Carmen is about 45 minutes or so from Cancun. And in and of itself, it's a really fun place like no vehicular traffic in the downtown area, fun shops and stores, and right on the beach, a little bit more old style, you know, of the Mexican coast. Cancun itself, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why so many families vacation there, why so many couples honeymoon there. Great beaches, you know, instant fun with high-rise hotels right on the coast. You know, tons of places to 
um, enjoy, imbibe, uh, get close to the water, have a great beach experience. So uh, Cancun also has had its share of quality golf for a while. Uh, not too much new in recent years, but um, yeah, I mean, at least 10 excellent courses and then around 15 total from top to bottom, I mean, that are worthy. Cabo started off much slower than that. It's not as renowned for its beaches, but it's renowned for its water. It's sport fishing. That's why people used to go to Cabo to begin with and go out and catch the incredible marlin and dorado and and just be out on the water. So it wasn't so much families vacationing at the beaches, just very small town kind of thing. But the climate was dry. Even though it's on the ocean, most of the year it's dry. It's in the desert. It's a little bit like Scottsdale meets the sea. So for folks who are used to being in the southwest portion of the United States, where it's dry, Cabo feels a little more like home. For folks, say, east of the Mississippi, where you're used to humidity, and then especially kind of down Florida way where the tropical aspects come in, Cancun feels more normal. It's humid. You get those kind of drenching rainstorms from time to time. So it's a great point of comparison, not only how they're related to how you get there from different parts of the United States, but the climate as well. So, you know, uh, from a starting point, that's where I start. When you look at it on the map and you start to think about flights to these places or, or how you get there, uh, what's the most accessible for you? Like Joe mentioned, there's the distinctness in the two climates uh, where Cancun's your more tropical setting, uh, traditional spending time on the beach, uh, going to an all-inclusive resort and uh, spending time, you know, outside and doing a bunch of different activities, uh, golf being one of those things. And from New York, you've got about a four-ish hour flight, a uh, lot closer as you, you go down the, the south, south direction of the East Coast. But even from a place like Dallas, it's almost a straight shot down uh, to Cancun and only about a two-hour flight versus... West Coast, you're generally closer to uh, Los Cabos, the desert on the sea, as you described it to me at some point. And um, the golf has really exploded there. And there's a lot in the the past, you know, 10 or 15 years that has developed and essentially put the level uh, and quality of golf uh, perhaps at the top in terms of Mexican destinations, but we'll get into that as well too. Maybe we start with, you know, one or the other and, and dig a little bit deeper. I say we start your direction and talk Cabo first. So Al, the thing to understand about Los Cabos is that just 30 years ago, there were only nine holes of golf in the whole area. So it lagged well behind Cancun and its surrounds as a golf destination. Well, in 1992, a little later that year, three courses were destined to open. 
And uh, among them was Palmia, which was a Jack Nicholas design. And that was appropriate because Jack Nicholas and Cabo Golf are absolutely inextricably linked. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to talk to Jack several times while we've been in Cabo for new courses that he's opened. And, uh, you know, he used to come to Los Cabos as early as the 1960s, co-piloting his own small plane. And I mean, he's loved the region ever since, even as he laughs about his impact. And this is something he told me. He said, I used to go there with a bathing suit, a pair of flip flops, about $20 and stay for a week. After we started building luxury golf developments, Cabo wasn't so cheap anymore. My friends tell me, Jack, you're the guy who ruined Cabo. I don't think that's quite fair because this is now a fantastic place to play golf. But yes, it certainly has changed. And Jack finished by telling me, I love Cabo for how it was and I love it for how it is. And Jack, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Because old Cabo was just that little tiny sleepy sport fishing town. And New Cabo is chock full of amazing golf courses and real, real estate developments, as well as resorts. A big key to that was a little later on in 1992, when they paved the road between the two main cities down there, San Jose del Cabo, which is the older, more artsy town, and then Cabo San Lucas, which is where a lot of the sport fishing would take place from. Uh, a lot of your fun bars and restaurants are out there. And that's where the Sea of Cortez meets the Pacific Ocean. So once they paved that highway, resorts and residential developments started popping up and golf was a big uh, engine that drove that growth. And Jack Nicholas was probably the primary driver in terms of putting quality golf courses on uh, the map for Los Cabos. What's the best course you've played there, in your opinion, or best couple? Yeah, I mean, I, I start with Diamante, which is on the Pacific side, and their first course there is the Dunes course. That was not designed by Jack Nicholas. That was designed by Davis Love III and his Love Design team. And back then, it was around... Uh, 2008 or so, uh, he had his brother Mark Love and a, an associate architect named Paul Cowley. And Diamante Dunes sticks out with me most and best of all because it is absolutely unique. Unique in my experience. A lot of the Cabo Golf, even at its best, kind of looks and plays somewhat similar. And it's desert target golf, often with the Sea of Cortez in view or the Pacific Ocean. But Diamante utilized these giant white dunes. And Davis Love and his team routed some of the holes up and over the dunes, in between them. Some of the holes played alongside the Pacific Ocean. Some really cool, fun strategies and drivable holes and so forth. I mean, that's why it stays tops on my list. What used to be a, a reasonably close second um, was what was called the Ocean Course at Cabo del Sol, which was a perennial top 100 in the world course 
certainly one of the top resort courses in the world. That was a Jack Nicholas design from around 1994, and it featured three finishing holes right on the ocean. Absolutely awesome, all of them. But over the years, those holes were redesigned, and so were two whole ocean, uh, two ocean holes on the front nine. And most recently, in the last two to three years, that golf course has undergone a complete ownership change, and it's no longer open for public play. So for the lucky folks who buy in at something called the Cove Club, you still have access to a lot of greatness involved in that golf course. But the public, even hotel guests, can no longer go play the Cove Club, which was known as the Cabo del Sol Ocean Course. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other really good golf courses down there. Right next door to Diamante is uh, is a Greg Norman course. I know Greg has his uh, mixed uh, reaction in terms of his name these days, but he built a really fun, firm and fast layout called Rancho San Lucas. That's, uh, you know, an absolute hoot. And right there at Diamante, Tiger Woods did the first course he ever did. And uh, it, it it's called El Cardinal, um, not after the Stanford Cardinal, but after uh, the original ranch that was there. And Tiger, to his credit, made it very playable. There's some good long views of both mountains and ocean. And, you know, uh, there are courses in Cabo that may be more spectacular, such as Puerto Los Cabos, uh, which Nicholas did 18 and Norman did nine. But um, for that desert ocean combination with playability, Diamante's El Cardinal by Tiger Woods is a very nice product. And, uh, and I mentioned Diamante because it, too, is a private development. But they do allow some access because if you go to their website in little letters, it says visit Diamante. So they want you to buy property there, but you can actually go stay as a guest in uh, a condo or a unit that's owned, privately owned, and then you can rent it for the week, uh, and sometimes in smaller increments. So... Those are my very favorites in Cabo, but boy, oh boy, there's a longer list than that. <laughs> where where do you have time for it? Longer and and growing. You mentioned Rancho San Lucas. That's one of the newer ones in Cabo, and um, I know Freddie Couples built a course, Twin Dolphin, down there. That's relatively new as well. You're getting a lot of those kind of newer age architects come in and and that's because like you said 30 years ago there were were only nine holes so uh i think cancun's a little bit different where you get some of those more familiar names in golf course architecture but you know a lot of these layouts the desert cliffs overlooking the sea of cortez like you said uh, i know there's a really spectacular shot of that par three at Kavira, jack's course down there as well that is all over instagram i'm sure plenty of people have seen it uh and joe am i in the wrong place when i'm thinking about uh, i'm thinking about the sea of cortez tpc Donzante bay is that cabo or is that elsewhere that's another destination called loreto uh and 
Loretto just has two golf courses. One of them happens to be fabulous. The, the TPC at Denzante Bay, a Reese Jones design that is sheer fun. Um, but that's a different destination. And that's one the Mexican government had thought was going to be Cabo. <laughs> Instead, its growth stalled for a variety of reasons, including airport access. And Cabo just took off. And so Loretto is slowly catching up. But, you know, you mentioned Kivira, which uh, is absolutely the most spectacular course in Cabo. The cart ride alone uh, is worth uh, practically the green fee, even if you didn't play golf. And that was a J Jack Nicklaus design that uh, finally opened about se seven or eight years ago. Um, and, and again, you will you will wear out your your cell phone camera um, in taking shots there. I was lucky enough to ride the golf course and play it with uh, our links editor, George Pepper, uh, back in the day. And um, absolutely amazing, completely memorable experience. Um, but some of those holes, you know, wow, uh, they, they border on, OK, is this um, is this fantasy golf or is this actual golf? So. You know, it's a it's a to each his own versus the golf purist versus the golf vacationer, you know, who says this is what I want in my experience. But it's very interesting that you mentioned both Kivira and Twin Dolphin and Twin Dolphin. Of course, Fred Couples makes it his winter home these days. Uh, he had a very capable architect alongside Todd Eckenrode from Southern California. And Twin Dolphin is fantastic. That's the kind of firm and fast golf that, you know the modern golfer loves to see and appreciate with great strategies, great long views, but like Kivira and like Rancho San Lucas, these are golf courses that you have to stay at a certain hotel or hotels to be able to access. That is a little bit of a drawback when you get to Cabo as a golf destination because more and more that's happening with every single new course and every new development. So although the quality is almost unmatched because of the top name architects, and that includes Robert Trent Jones Jr. in the East Cape, which is a little further away, but it's still considered Los Cabos. And he did Costa Palmas and there's a Four Seasons property right there. Again, you have to stay at a certain property to get on. So if you were looking to just come down and make it a central place to stay and expect to play these five or six courses, that's not how it works. Sure. So be prepared. If you make that plan, hey, you know, you're going to have to do some scrambling or do some, you know, tough choices and have your priorities straight if you want to play this course or this course or this course. Right. You're either going to be bouncing around or you're you should be confined to one location and one specific course. Uh, you mentioned that Cabo came up as a fishing destination in your excursions there. Did you do much fishing and how successful were you? Well, I would say moderately successful. Um, my first visit down there, as a matter of fact, May of 1992, uh, I was with a little group, about six of us. And um, yeah, we were out there and brought in an absolutely gorgeous black marlin but it took close to an hour to, to bring it in. That is the essence and art of sport fishing. And um, a marketing guy that I was with had, had it first. 
And then he, it just exhausted him um, it, close to the half hour mark. And he did the, the baseball manager symbol. He, he said, all right, I'm bringing the lefty. Yeah, exactly. Call for the relief pitcher. And I came in and, and worked it for about 10 minutes. Uh, still, still been bringing it in. And um, my man Merle came back, uh, finished off the job. And uh, yeah, a day later, we dined very well uh, in bringing that in. Now, these days, most sport fishing, uh, you, you kind of give back to the sea what you, what you catch. Uh, but in other cases where it's plentiful, um, be it the Dorado or Wahoo and that sort of thing, um, I've had some good luck in those excursions as well. And if you still love to sport fish, there are a few better places on this earth than Los Cabos. All right, Joe, next time I need to go to the bullpen, call in the middle reliever, I'll, I'll give you the signal. <laughs> I wish you could do that on the golf course sometimes. You get stuck in the middle of a round and you don't know what you're doing. Just give me a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's let's go to the flip side of the coin now. Let's let's go over to Cancun. Uh, I I have a a little bit of experience playing golf in Cancun. One place in particular, uh, there's 27 holes at that are tied to the Moon Palace Resort in Cancun. It's not part of the yep. Cancun Hotel Zone, which is a strip of of narrow beachfront property uh, where a lot of these hotels and, and tourist stops are located uh, where you can stay at one of those a little different from Kaba. You stay there and you can kind of bounce place to place. But uh, the place I played 27 holes of Jack Nicholas golf was spectacular. Uh, I know there's some 15 courses you can play in, in Cancun, like you mentioned from, from actual Cancun at the top of the Riviera Maya down to Tulum, which people, like you mentioned, no for the Aztec ruins. There's a lot going on, and a lot more of those classic names are associated with the golf. Um, so you're talking, you know, Jack Nicholas, Tom Weisskopf. Uh, there's a Nick Price design that's very good down there. Uh, Greg Norman's uh, Mayakoba course is featured on the PGA Tour every year. Joe, I know you've been to Cancun a couple of times. Uh, what can you say there? Yeah, uh, again, it takes me a little while to acclimate to the humidity. Um, but when it's a nice temperature, especially in wintertime, that humidity feels really good. Um, summertime, you know, okay, time to change your shirt after two holes. But the quality of the golf in the Cancun area uh, that Riviera Maya is really strong as well, as you mentioned, you know, some top name modern designers uh, names, obviously, that were designed to attract people because they're familiar with their names. But um, all of those guys did a great job. My personal favorite down there is Greg Norman's Maya Coba. And I learned to say that after about 11 years, uh, the emphasis down at the back of the word Maya Coba. You always sound so much better when you when you come off and say it 
correctly after I just butchered a pronunciation. <laughs> not, at, not at all. It took, it took me about 11 years to get that right. But uh, there's, there's three really great hotels connected with the property. So it's a good place to just, you know, kind of camp, even though there's only one golf course there. Uh, but it's, again, part of what I loved about Diamante's Dunes course is what I love about Mayakoba. And that is, it is unique. It is incredibly distinctive in so many ways. Um, I mean, on the very first hole, you know, you have a cave called a cenote uh, or cenote um, that's in the middle of the fairway that the designers left in place that you can actually drive your golf ball into and then have to take a penalty stroke, you know, getting it out of there. But there are not too many golf courses on the planet that have something like that. In addition, you got two par three uh, holes, the seventh and the 15th, that go right up against the beach. And they're thrilling, but generally speaking, the wind is howling at you off the beach, and you've really got to flight your ball properly. And, uh, you know, which, which is kind of a fun task because they aren't that long of holes. And then other holes that just wind through thick mangroves. I mean, forget it. If you lose your ball out there, you're not going hunting in, in, in that area, but it's such a distinctive look. So that's why Mayakoba uh, earns first place for me. But I've got some close runner-ups too. And, you know, um, I've not been to the Moon Spa Golf Course, you know, with Moon Palace. Uh, and I've heard very good things about that. But I, I did play uh, Riviera Cancun, another Jack Nicholas golf course. And that's, man, oh man, that is absolutely classic Cancun. Um, it's a little bit south of the Cancun airport. What I love about it is it's core golf. No real estate involved, no development, just one pristine hole after the next. Birds, iguanas, and again, be careful where you go to look for your ball in water hazards because crocodiles are ever-present. Al, you know Hilton Head. I know Hilton Head. Those are alligators. Down in this part of the world, it's crocodiles. But um, Riviera Cancun, excellent Jack Nicholas course. Um, as usual, one of his leading competitors for the better part of 60 years, Tom Weisskopf, did another course I really like. And uh, that's a little bit north of uh, what they call the Cancun's hotel zone. That's called Puerto Cancun. Now, that one is surrounded by a massive development, but it's good looking stuff, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting to play uh, along the high rises and a marina, beautiful boats. But um, it also has the only hole in the area, the drivable par 4 14th, that uh, has the Caribbean Sea or the Caribbean, if you like, all along the entire left side of the hole. You know, one of the places where Cabo does have an advantage over Cancun is that there are just more holes that can see or play along the Sea of Cortez or the Pacific Ocean, whereas Cancun, for all its beach glory, doesn't have a lot of golf that encompasses, you know, the water. Uh, this one at Puerto Cancun actually does have at least one really cool hole all along the water. So, um, you know, for me, those are my top three. Again, there are others uh, in the area, you know, that, that people really enjoy. But uh, that's where I'd start. And the other one you sent me is El Tinto. Uh, as part of Cancun Country Club, uh, I in the little write up you had done, I know this was a while ago. They you mentioned that a 
Fazio design might be on the way. Is that something that that came? I couldn't find any any evidence of that or that get put on the back burner. Yeah, back burner for now. Um, as a number of courses, even in in Mexico, um, there was a a Gil Hans eighteen hole design on the board at one of the great private courses in Cabo called Carencia. And again, that may well come to fruition to, to balance out the Tom Fazio design that's there. Uh, again, if you can get onto Carencia, do it. Uh, it's fabulous. But by the same token, um, yeah, there are courses that are still uh, on, on the drawing boards. And the one at uh, uh, that's at Cancun Country Club uh, that was going to be a Fazio course, is, it hasn't happened yet. And the other thing about Cancun Country Club, it was also known as TPC Cancun for a while, for people that have been there before. Um, a lot of these places, especially in Cancun and down further south, Playa del Carmen, management changes, the economy shifted. A lot of these places have changed its names. And so you, you may have even played a course or two and, oh, it's got a different name now. And so it's harder to develop a real identity when a course has changed its name. So with that Nick Price course, fun course. Um, I mean, it's plenty challenging. Again, uh, looks the part, very tropical. But, you know, a lot of people refer to it as El Tinto, you know, because that's the specific course name. But it's also Cancun Country Club. So what do you ask for? That kind of thing. Hey, Ask for them both, and uh, you'll have a good experience uh, as long as you get out there and play it. That one sounds like one of the ones that's not affiliated with a resort or anything. It's kind of close to the airport as well, so it could be an option uh, on your way in or on your way out of Cancun. That's for sure, and and that was another point of comparison, Al. When I mentioned the challenges now of getting onto some, some of Cabo's very best courses because you have to stay at a certain hotel or, or family of hotels to get onto that course. Cancun is almost completely different. Virtually all of the top courses are available in some way, shape, or form, you know, to outside play. But then again, like you mentioned, the uh, the wow factor of these courses, it's one thing you talked about when you mentioned the one hole that had the Caribbean completely along at that par four at... Um, was that Puerto or was that? At, yeah, at, at Puerto Cancun. Yeah. And what I remember, Moon Palace, a really good course, but it's pretty much all inland. It seems like a lot of the, they, they're saving the beach front land for beach activities, which in my mind brings up a question. And I don't know if, if this is fair. Maybe you can, maybe you can talk this out with me, but it seems like, you know, Cancun is more of the the family and the, you know, there's more to do. There's more amenities and, and different things outside of the golf. Cabo seems more of like a grown-ups destination um, where the activities are more catered to couples, to, to individuals, and, and less so about families other than the, the actual real estate component where you're living uh, and enjoying what there is at these communities. Do you think that's fair? Do you think it's Cabo's more grown up and, and Cancun is more the whole gang, get them all together and go have fun. 
you know, at the end of the day, as Greg Norman likes to say, um, I think that's a fair comparison. I think the attractions for families uh, are just easily there and gettable when you go to Cancun. Where Cabo has caught up uh, in many respects are all these amazing resorts, uh, which in many ways are upscale. So you have to factor that in, but the resorts themselves have uh, for the most part catered to families. Stay on property and we've got all these cool things for you and your kids to do you know, one way or the other. Now, neither destination wins a whole bunch of bonus points for having affordable golf and shorter courses for family fun. Uh, Diamante has a nice Tiger Woods course called the Oasis um, that, you know, that members and guests uh, enjoy. And that's very playable and doable. Cabo uh, Cancun, I think, has one, one example of that. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, there's honeymooners in both places. Okay, there's bachelor and bachelorette parties in both places. Very easy to just go have fun and lose yourself in that experience at either place. But I think the attractions uh, are built in a lot better in Cancun for families. Whereas in Cabo, yeah, you probably have to make a kind of specific resort your destination. And then for the most part, you got everything you want. Well, I think we've pretty well hashed it out, Joe. Um I know you've been to one more than the other. Could you could you make a determination, or is it just that they're that different? Well, in golf, uh, I mean, we love to say "Vive la différence." You know, we celebrate the fact that there's so many different places and and styles of architecture and everything else. Um, I've made my best guesstimate is two dozen trips to Cabo, but it may be closer to thirty. It's closer to my home, a two-hour flight to Phoenix. And you know what? I like the dry heat. <laughs> that's that's what I like. And um, and and Cabo is always gonna always gonna do it for me in in that department. But by the same token, when you want a taste of that tropical, the exotic, if you will, you know, I, I mean Cancun again, just south of it as well, Playa del Carmen and so forth. That's the jungle. You know, that is the tropics and it's a lot of fun to play go golf there as well. So, you know, at the upper echelon, Cabo has more spectacular holes and courses and top 100 courses. But if it's a little closer to you and you're okay with the tropics, a little humidity um, and, and some fantastic built-in attractions, uh, Cancun is just fine. So my nod goes to Cabo, but a tip of the cap to Cancun. And if you're worried about getting wild and having a good time, both locations have a senior frogs in case you were, you were curious about that, but uh, yeah, get that and, at both. Uh, absolutely. And both of those places <laughs> do, do qualify, you know, in Vegas is, uh, you know, what uh, their old theme, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I mean, that's why Cancun and, and Cabo, um, you know, are the destinations they are uh, for those purposes. You know, uh, again, Al, it, we would be remiss if we didn't mention, you know, safety and security. Uh, and and I know that no place, you know, almost anywhere is totally secure, as, as we understand. Cabo is a little more difficult to get in and out of because it's so isolated. So there's some great safety and security aspects there. 
Cancun had its issues not long ago, you know, with uh, with things coming back. And consequently, they've done a much, much improved job uh, of making sure the tourists feel safe and secure within the hotel zone and the places that you want to be. So, again, you know, nothing's a guarantee, but both destinations, you should feel pretty safe um, about being at and being able to enjoy, relax and have fun. Yeah, sure. And that's, you know, an ever evolving thing, right? Um, I think it's best for anyone who's considering either place to do a little research and make sure that you're comfortable with what it takes to get from point A to point B. And and a lot of these resorts will have their own transportation to and from the airport. So it's it's pretty much a straight shot. And yeah. and the other the other thing, Al, is that there's enough English spoken in both major destinations that we're talking about um, that you shouldn't feel too you know insecure if you don't know your Spanish well enough. Certainly helpful um, uh, to have that in your background, but uh, again, this this is not off the beaten path, so to speak, and and you should feel comfortable about uh, having English and being able to conduct your transactions in that language. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to a totally different, uh, unrelated topic. We're going to read some answers to a, a reader poll question that we had recently, uh, as we've done on on some other episodes. This particular question is one that was a very popular one. I got a lot of feedback from, uh, as a, a print publication, uh, we have a lot of readers and what better question to ask a bunch of people who love to read than what their favorite golf book is. So, Joe, I've got 60-some answers that I can rifle through here. Uh, when I mentioned that this would be the topic, you spanned your room that you're in right there, and you have bookshelves on both walls with, I don't know, what would you say, 600 books? That's about right. <laughs> so, Devoted uh, to golf, yeah. I, all 600 related to golf. I've got other books but, <laughs> and other bookshelves, but yes, about 600 golf volumes. Well, can you narrow your your list down and give a couple of recommendations? What's your what's your favorite? Do you have one above the rest and maybe a couple other? Yep, I've got a I've got a one and then I've got a kind of a a one a one A and one B or a number one. The, the one book I have gone back to over 40 years more often, I give it a little break, a little rest, and then I come back to it and I smile and it makes me happy every time I sit down with one of the passages, whether for free reading or for research. And that is a book called Following Through from the mid-1980s. And it is a collection of stories by Herbert Warren Wind, great American golf writer, who uh, he wrote these pieces for the New Yorker magazine in the time that he worked there for many, many years. Herb also wrote for Sports Illustrated for a long time and contributed other books and pieces, wrote with Jack Nicholas uh, on one of his early great books and so forth. But this book, which talks about him going to Dornick for the very first time in 1964, when it was a six hour journey just to get up there, um, to talk about covering the 1982 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach um, and, and on and on in his own style that you just want to curl up, 
by the fireplace or out on the porch and uh, absolutely love it. Um, my my next three, and I'll leave it at that. We want to get to the readers, but a book that came out six years later, another compendium of sorts, the great Dan Jenkins at his best, The Dogged Victims of Inexorable Fate. There is no golf description I've ever read that I laughed out loud as Dan Jenkins describing Prestwick in Scotland. And even if you don't buy the book, go find this because it is genius. For those of us who warm to the reverence of Prestwick in Scottish golf, Dan Jenkins puts it in the proper perspective. And my final two books I've got to, I've got to give credit to. One, a little close to home uh, at, with our colleagues. For any Ryder Cup history, uh, man, I got to find the actual name of the book. But it is something along the lines of David Faraday's History of the Ryder Cup. Now, David is a funny, funny man. Fortunately, he wrote this with the help of Link's mainstay, Jim Frank. And together, they produced a book that is singular in its appeal. It's got all of the history and all of the details of every Ryder Cup through, you know, maybe 10 to 15 years ago when the book came out. It's fantastic historical reference, but it has Faraday's uh, wit, which sometimes gets pretty sophomoric. Be prepared, but it is also laugh out loud funny in places that um, you just have to see it for me to describe. And then finally, one final shout out as a reference work to the Dean of Architecture writers, Ron Witten and the old architect, Jeffrey Cornish, who published several different volumes of a book called The Golf Course, which turned into one final volume called The Architects of Golf. And it is the best reference work on who the designers were and cross-referencing each golf course and who designed that golf course, when they designed it, and the history of golf course design. Man, I cannot tell you how many times I have dipped into that book and learned and, and gone on and said, man, I'm glad I have this book. The Architects of Golf It's probably about 25 years old now, and hopefully Ron will be busy with an updated version. But uh, all right, that's my take, man. Joe, thank you for those. I'm looking forward to adding those to a checklist of ones I must read because if they're recommended by you, I feel compelled to read them and learn what you learn. It's always fun to hear you pull these things out of your brain. And I know you reference a lot of these books you said uh, all the time. So I, I look forward to doing the same. If you have a, uh, a library card system where I could check out a couple from your collection there uh, please let me know where to sign up <laughs> and uh, what information you need from me for that for you for you al i will create one <laughs> okay great well i'll give you a couple um my i'm kind of all over the board but i always thought my favorite golf book was the one i i grew up on that taught me a little bit about how to play the game and that was how i play golf by tiger woods uh i lost myself in that book as a youth uh, growing up and and trying to get better uh, playing high school golf. Just Tiger was, was the guy as, as he is for a lot of, a lot of players my age. And it was just kind of fascinating to hear 
the way he thought himself around the golf courses from shots to the mental side of the game. And just hearing it from Tiger's mouth was, was a very cool thing on the flip side of that coin, a kind of a controversial book that I actually quite enjoyed that revolved around Tiger was the big miss by Hank Haney. Uh, I know that was one that a lot of people disliked what Hank had to say and how um, deeply he divulged some of the private things in, in Tiger's life. Uh, I was just deeply fascinated by the entire book. Uh, learning some things from Tiger, like the nine shots routine that he did, your low, mid, and high ball shots, uh, hitting a, a hook, straight ball, and fade, and that's how he would prepare on the range for different things up to his obsession with the armed forces and and that may be contributing to some of those injuries that he incurred over the course of his golf career. I, it's a just a fascinating read to me about a player that we all are fascinated by. And then a couple of others, one I recently read, and you may have heard of, it's a pretty new book called One for the Memory Banks by a guy named Luke Reese. Uh, he's formerly with K-Juice and uh, worked for the parent company for Wilson Golf. Uh, and things of that nature. It's about his learning of and playing the the classic courses in the British Isles. Uh, he had a coworker that uh, was from over there that taught him the ropes, and it's essentially their exploits, uh, almost like a, a travel log guide of of a few courses over there and his favorites. Uh, Western Gales, I think, was his favorite among everything, but. Uh, that was a quick and easy, you know, fun read, uh, storytelling his, his exploits over there. And then, uh, I've dove into Tom coins, of course, called Ireland, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Tom strapping a bag to his shoulders and walking the country of Ireland playing golf, uh, is also a really entertaining read. Al, I will jump in and say all of the books Tom Coyne has produced are fabulous. Absolutely. I mean, you know, should I be jealous because this guy does a better job of it? <laughs> no, it's fantastic reading. Uh, and the writing is superb. The golf analysis is superb for modern books. And now Ireland's a little bit older. And then he did Scotland. And then a year, maybe last year, he did uh, America. Right. Get, get them all. They're fantastic to read. Yeah. Well, now that we've done our our due diligence there, I'll read a couple of our reader responses. That's some of the things that our listeners and our readers have loved reading in the past and consider their favorite golf books. Um, I'll start first with the question. The guy says, are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding, of course. <laughs> this is a legitimate question. Two amateurs against two of the greatest players of all times at one of the greatest courses in the world. Joe, you may know what that book is. It's The Match, The Day, The Game of Golf Changed Forever by Mark Frost. I was a little resentful when that book came out. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I mean, it's not a terrible thing. Because I was one of those golf guys that knew a lot of the details already. You know, I knew about Cypress Point hosting this amazing match between Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson against uh, the two amateurs, Ken Venturi and Harvey Ward. Um, 
and and oh well here comes this you know johnny come lately you know that's suddenly going to produce a book about it i mean that's how i felt and then i read the book and again like holy cow can this guy write can this guy report can this guy mark frost tell a story and i was so glad it became part of the literature so yeah uh, that that has to be uh, uh, very high on anyone's list of the greatest books of all time for golf. A reader, Greg K, says Final Rounds by James Dodson, a touching blend of golf and the relationship between the dying father and the son. It takes us to the greatest Scottish courses many of us have played all, and all the while tugs at the heartstrings of those of us who have lost a loved one and whose love of golf bounds us together. James Dodson, my dad has handed me a few James Dodson books over the years, and I feel like he does a really wonderful job of uh, the relationships of golf. All right, Al. I've been lucky enough to play golf with James Dodson on multiple occasions. He is terrific company. Final Rounds is one of the greatest golf books ever written, but maybe the reason it doesn't pop up as easily for me is I don't go back to it as much because I don't want to cry every day. <laughs> you go back and reread some of those passages, and yeah, I cried the first two times I read it. So, and and it's not like I shed a ton of tears on a daily or weekly basis. Amazing story, amazing writing, and um, uh, good for one of our readers, you know, for mentioning that book because it is one of the all-time greats. It's the exact reason why I will never see the movie or read the book Marley and Me. I don't want that. I don't. I don't need to be a disheveled human being just bawling my eyes out. There's. There's no reason for me to do that. I, I will never see Marley and Me. <laughs> Maybe I'll never read this book. <laughs> he said that. Um, I'm sure it's good. Yeah, and and I mean that's what we that, that's what we do is is a great writer. You, you want to elicit emotions, and sometimes it's emotions of sadness and grief, nostalgia, sentimentality, and wherever it 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 brings you to but uh, uh mr dodson did a fabulous job there but yeah yeah you're going to think about your own dad and your own relationships in your life and um you know you'll you'll put it aside for a while and then compose yourself all right i'll hit a few others here uh tony v says any of bob rotella's books on putting and the mental side of the game i've read them all uh i'm sure a lot of people have also read uh more of the psychological side of golf, trying to, you know, find something mentally they can unlock there in their golf game that takes away a bit of the the stress and nerves that we all experience. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Brooke L uh, gives a nod to our editor George Pepper and his title Two Years in St. Andrews." Uh, says it's a beautiful, non-romantic book about a beautiful and romantic place. Uh, she read it two weeks before a golf trip to St. Andrews in the summer of 07 and walking up the 18th fairway. She saw George walk out of his home with his dog, Millie, who our readers are familiar with, too. Uh, being an American, I didn't hesitate to yell out, hey, George, love the book, and he waved back. Good on you, George. Uh, best golf day ever is how she ends that review. You can't add much to that. <laughs> Uh, all right. A few more here, Joe. Let's see. I'll just quick hit a couple. Uh, Michael Murphy's Golf in the Kingdom is on here. Uh, Good Walk Spoiled by John Feinstein. 
let's see, Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book. Harvey Pinnock, of course, the famous instructor for Ben Crenshaw, among others. There's another James Dodson title. There's another Bob Rotella title. So these are popular, popular guys. Uh, Bob Tosky's Beginner's Guide to Golf. It was my golf Bible when I learned to play golf at the age of 10. That's Mark H. who gave us that. Uh, so sort of in line with my Tiger book for me is Tosky's Beginner's Guide to Golf for him. And all right, I'll hit. I'll give you just a couple more, Joe. For its humor, Missing Links by Rick Riley. For instructor, Hogan's Five Lessons or Led Better the Golf Swing. For history, Tommy's Honor the Match. The Grand Slam Bobby Jones or The Greatest Game Ever Played. Ken, Ken gave us a ton to chew on there, but any of those stick out in your head? No, I mean, that's a super solid list, and I love the fact that he broke it down into categories because some books are going to resonate a little more than others, depending on what your strongest interest in golf is. Um, you know, I, I love my golf history and, uh, and architecture and go- traveling to great golf courses more so than I would instruction books. But for anybody who's been serious uh, enough to want to improve their game, um, whether in the video age or before it, you know, there are some superb books on the topic. And you mentioned one just before that. People forget it's been 30 years or so since Harvey Phoenix, The Little Red Book came out. What a phenomenon that was. I mean, New York Times bestseller, absolutely incredible. And um, two quick, great stories with that one. Of course, it was suggested by his uh, friend, the Dallas sports writer, Bud Shrake, that he should do this book. And uh, Harvey, well, yeah, okay, kind of grudgingly, I'll, I'll put this stuff down and and uh, and then Bud proceeded to, you know, to tell him that, uh, yeah, um, he was able to to, you know, to to get this book uh, uh, under contract for 10 grand, ten thousand dollars. And uh, oh, poor Harvey. Harvey thought he had to pay ten thousand dollars to get the <laughs> to get the book published. And no, that was the that was the advance for that. So, again, pure classic Harvey Phoenix story. But. I played a wonderful private William Flynn course in the suburbs of Cleveland in 1993 called the Pepper Pike Club, just being uh, restored by Ian Andrew, the Canadian architect. And I was playing with our host and, oh, he hit another fine drive or a terrific bunker shot. And we congratulate him. Well done. Compliment. And he'd say, page 58, page 92. He would quote right from Harvey Phoenix's Little Red Book on where he got that technique and that tip from to execute the shot as well as he did. So, yeah, that was a true phenomenon among golf books uh, in, in the history of publishing. Well, fascinating insight as always, Joe. Uh, I think we've given our listenership plenty to to add to their list. Thank you all for submitting your answers again and check out our Sunday newsletter every week where we have a different poll question that sometimes Joe and I will opine on as well. Uh, Joe, thanks for your time today on Cabo, Cancun, and literature. We really appreciate it. Al, this was an awfully fun one to do. Great being with you.